We're moving into a section that has a lot in common, and so tonight is just part one of overcoming evil with good. Chapter 2, starting in verse 11. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors, as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Let's pray. Father, we pray that whatever you deliver to us tonight through your word, that your spirit would make us not just hearers, but doers of your word. In the name of Christ, amen. You may be seated. Well, we've made it a, quite a long way in First Peter, and in verse 11, we have a marker that everyone that I have read recognizes as a new section, Beloved. It is a, a major new section. Uh, if we think back on what we've covered in First Peter, we can summarize in two main headings. We have learned a great deal together with Peter by the Holy Spirit about God the Father and what he has accomplished through Jesus Christ and the Spirit. We've really been seeing uh, through that whole first chapter and part of the second what they have accomplished, what their plan was, and how they executed it. Well, the second thing that we started to learn besides about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and their redemptive work is who we are as the church. There's been a lot of identity statements lately. Last week, for example, we learned that Christians together are a temple and a priesthood, and that these two things orient us as to what we are to do with all of our lives. We put this in terms of sacred space to this world and a sacred vocation in which we serve, and I hope that those have been helpful to you. Our calling, in other words, is to proclaim the praises of Him who called us out of darkness. That's where we ended last time, that we had the command to proclaim the praises or the excellencies of Him who called us out of darkness. And now here is the main question for tonight, and it will be the main question for some time, perhaps all the way to the end of Peter. What does it look like to proclaim God's praises? What does it look like to report or to spread the excellencies of God. And particularly, you'll find that Peter is concerned about doing so amongst non-believers, those who are not followers of Christ at the time. And so that's what we're looking to answer for some time, and we'll start tonight and then we'll continue once I get back from Florida but basically what we'll have here is Peter is going to give the answer by repeating himself in two different ways. 
he's first going to put it in the negative and he's going to say that part of our responsibility, if we were to look at the big picture, and then he's going to get into specifics as we go along, but if we look at the big picture, he's saying, abstain from lusts, don't revert to your old life, and the positive part of it is live honorable lives doing good works. It's the, it's the negative and the positive, and we're going to look at the, the big picture tonight, and then we'll start getting into the specifics as we go on with these examples he himself gives. So let's start with the first point, which is the negative, which is abstain from lust. And you can see this in verse 11. After he appeals to them as a heavenly colony, they certainly, although they may be in some sense citizens of that city, in another sense he, re, he recalls the very first two verses of this letter by begging them as sojourners and pilgrims that they are citizens of heaven. And that leads in to him saying the main command in the negative. And you can take a look. It's as plain as day here in your Bible. Abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Now, Peter is not saying anything new. He's not adding new concepts or categories. He's repeating what he's already been saying throughout the letter. At uh, chapter 1, verse 14, he urged Christians not to go back to their former lusts in the life which they once lived. I think we're familiar enough with what that would look like, even in your own life, to return to your former lusts, even if that sounds archaic to you. You know, Peter starts to put some of the specifics in for this group of people, and you have to add in your own details. But he, he puts the specifics in chapter 4, verse 3. And he says, and you're welcome to look at that in your own scriptures, but I'll read it to you. He says, for we have spent enough of our past lifetime doing the will of the Gentiles. Amen, Peter. When we walked in lewdness, lusts, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. Now that's early 20th century language, but I still think you can get the point and translate the kind of life that he's talking about. Based on this list, for this particular group of people to whom Peter was writing, they must have been involved in some kind of cultic rituals. Prostitution, drinking too much, all in the honor of some Greek god or goddess, was pretty typical in their culture, actually. Sometimes, later, if you wanted to apply this, it wouldn't be about a cultic party. That's not always the issue. Peter is inviting you, in your knowledge of the whole canon of Scripture, to know what he's talking about. He doesn't want you to just be limited to the exact words that he wrote there. So, for example, sometimes it could be atheism. Maybe atheism was your former life. I don't know. I know a local pastor, when he was in college, he was an atheist, and God called him to serve him, and now he abstains from an atheistic lifestyle. I've talked to him about it, and he has lots of particular ways in which he doesn't engage certain things any longer. He doesn't revert. Our past lives can be very different from each other. The commonality, though, is that if our past lives were not serving the triune God, then we're not to return to those. We're not to return back to that place. We must abstain, and that is the first way, that's the beginning part in the negative on what it would mean to proclaim the excellencies of God, to abstain from going back to a life that does not proclaim the excellencies of God, whether in action or in word. But that's not the only point that he makes here. He doesn't stay in the negative. He also moves into the positive. And uh, I'll point this out to you here. You notice in verse 12, 
He says, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, you can see that focus there of the outsider, that when they speak, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they observe. So now we're moving into this positive. We have honorable life doing good works. That's the other part of this. And this is just another way of saying the first point, but in the positive. The translation makes it look like Peter is saying two different things. I think there's an argument for why they would translate it this way. But when it says, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, it's literally in the Greek, honorable and good are the same word in in the Greek language. Uh, Having good conduct among the Gentiles by your good works which they observe. That's the emphasis here. The word honorable is the same word used in good works, and both of the words are good, that you're to live a good life in front of them. The main idea is that we are to live good lives and that our lives should be filled with good works. Now, that's almost so general it's not helpful, but I think, it again, it's just a basic orientation for you. And I don't know, I actually don't hear much conversation among Christians in living good lives amongst their non-believing neighbors. I do hear of it, but I think it needs to be more of an emphasis if we're going to listen and be under the instruction of Peter. I think Peter, let me put it in another way. I think Peter is meditating upon the words of Jesus as are recorded in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. It's the exact thought in summary form as to what I have just spent the last 10 minutes saying. There it is. Nice and simple. That's what Peter is doing, and I actually think he's rehearsing other points made on the Sermon on the Mount throughout the rest of his teaching here. I hope that you're noticing the emphasis on the Gentile and the implication there. Nick brought it out by using a special word. He said that you do not just live private lives but that you are all public people. And that needs to be taken very seriously. You are ambassadors or representatives for the king in two ways. You must leave behind your past evil lives and you must, by God's grace, do good works in hopes, Peter says, that at the day of God's visitation, that neighbor that didn't used to follow Christ will join us in giving praises themselves to God. That's the idea. And we're going to actually, as we go through the rest of the examples, see how that will take place even with a woman and her unbelieving husband. So the message, the message though, is simple to understand, and it is summarized in Matthew 5, 6 about letting our lights shine. We are to live good lives so that non-Christians around you are tempted to say this, Wow! The triune God is excellent, and I want him to be my God. That's the goal. Now, what I want to do is I want to look closer at how this works, but I'm only going to use the first example that he gives where he says in verse 13, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to king as supreme. So he's talking about local rulers. That's the example that I want us to to look at first, again, to be oriented to later teaching as we become more and more specific of what this would look like for us. But we're going to have to pray about it also. So let's look closer at how this works to be a light before men. 
that they would share in proclaiming God's excellencies with us. First off, notice, I hope you have a good paragraphed Bible. I want you to notice that the rest of 1 Peter will show us one example after another of the kind of good works that we are to do before non-Christians that may lead to God being admired among them. We have here being under rulers. We have the uh, marriage relationship, particularly with the unbelieving husband. We have servants and their masters, and it will continue into verse 3 and beyond. We'll get into the specifics of how Christ himself sets the example and what that he set before the unbelieving world. Verses 13 through 17, I believe, reveals that there is a temptation for these Christians, at least, to somehow give the local and regional rulers a difficult time. And so Peter is urging them to be known as the kind of people that do not cause trouble. Now, I'm speaking generally. We can get into situations in history where we've got to really exercise wisdom here on what does trouble look like. What should we be doing and what should we not be doing based on what the government is doing? There's a, when you get into the specifics of a person's life, you can use these as a general orientation, but there's lots. The whole Bible would need to be referenced in order to gain wisdom, not just this single verse. But as a general orientation, Peter is urging Christians to be known as the kind of people that are not troublemakers in society, that rulers do not think of Christians that way. Instead, he wants Christians to be thought of by their rulers as those who make society more healthy and that everyone can clearly see it. We honor, he says, or treat all people with dignity. That's the list there that is very well known amongst us in verse 17. Honor all people. We love fellow Christians, or as Peter puts it, love the brotherhood. We walk in the fear of God. We treat the king, or in our case, the president, with honor, which itself can be complicated at times. But again, this is a general orientation. This is a tough situation. And as you get into the specifics, you really need wisdom sometimes to know how to live under a local ruler and how to live with the local law enforcement. But overall, the orientation is that they would look on us as a body of people that bring health to society. They would say this, what would we do without them? Peter hopes that the result will be that when society slanders Christians, if you notice here in the passage, there are those who may be against us and may not be for Christ or for Christians. And so he says that in verse 15, for this is the will of good, that by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. That when they stand up and they complain about us, the rest of society stands up even taller and they say, wait a minute. That is not my experience with Christians. They are not like that. In fact, I wish that everyone in our culture would follow the triune God. It'd be far more beautiful around here if they did. Look at them and look at their families and look at how they treat one another. And look at how even in disagreement, they still still hold up our dignity. I remember an atheist telling me something similar to this, looking from the outside into the Christian community, 
One of his sons became a Christian and the other did not. The father spoke to the Christian son and said, I see what the church has done for you. You are a completely changed person. Is there any way that you can get your brother to be a member also? Now, he missed the point because he gave all the credit to the church, but he's so close, right? Because of the testimony of the church. And everyone that this atheist met from the church that was now a part of that son's life sealed the deal and became a further argument to there's something good going on here amongst these people that say that Yahweh is their God. That was the realization that that person had. Now, I have another example where the opposite took place. The Amish community is known by tourists and the community in general as a quaint and harmless, godly community. Everyone loves the horse-drawn buggies, and it is a allure to perhaps a, a godly, pious, and simpler life. At least from the outside, that's what it can come across as. But in 1998, that all changed. Because the Amish community was exposed in a certain section of town. Police uncovered that they were not using those buggies for, buggies for quaint purposes, but that some of the Amish were transporting and selling hard drugs and opiates to local communities. And this cheapened their reputation and the reputation of God. There was a major drug bust amongst the Amish communities in 1998. Through these examples, whether positive or negative, like the atheists or the Amish community, I think you get the point, and maybe God wanted me to call them boogies when I messed up my... English there. Sorry about that. I just realized I said boogies instead of buggies. They're not riding around in boogies, little boys and girls. But it's funny. It's really funny. Through these examples, I hope Peter's plea is clear to us. I think that more has to be said. The difficulty of embracing Peter's message is that he does not give us formulas that can be copied and pasted into our culture. And that is part of the difficulty. You must notice that Peter is, man, Peter is giving us generalities. And they cannot be copied and pasted into our culture. We as Christians must get on our knees and pray for what it looks like for us to be a light to our generation. For example, you could look up to this Christian congregation, or you could look up to a later Christian congregation like the Puritans. But if you were to be either of those congregations for today, you would miss the point. There certainly is some overlap, but today is our day. And Jesus Christ is moving amongst us this day, and how we are to exercise wisdom for this specific culture. I'm sure you could talk to a missionary that has gone off into some other culture that is very different than America, and, and the long-term wisdom that they had to gain in being in a kind of, for example, an Asian culture, for example. Each new generation has to figure out, with these guidelines and the rest of the canon, by the Spirit, how, what are and how are we to do good works that the people around us that do not know God or recognize Him would see that He is excellent. How does that happen in a culture like ours? You know, I'm in some, some ways envious of earlier cultures that where everyone had a God. It seems like the conversation would be easier. And now it's just 
difficulty after difficulty having anything in common, any base in the conversation where we could agree to be able to move forward. God has to give us wisdom if we're going to fulfill the instructions here in Peter. You know, uh, this has become difficult at every single level. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. Do you feel how difficult it is to make contact with the world around you as a Christian? That they would see the excellencies of God, the God that you know? You feel that there's a wall between you and your neighbor? It seems like it's unclimbable. You know, it's not just us. I was just speaking with a brother in Brazil, and he told me that what used to be known amongst Christians has become even the most difficult thing. You know, Christians used to be known for starting hospitals and, and helping the poor and the sick. That's what we used to be known for. But my brother in Brazil told me that the secular government has become so overreaching with programs for the poor that the church has now found trouble finding a place amidst all of the government programs. And that the poor are saying to them, to their faces, we don't need the church anymore because the government has more resources for us. They give us cell phones. There are no cell phones at the church. Now that just makes it even more difficult. It represents the struggle that the church feels today and putting into effect what Peter is telling us. The church feels less and less needed, less and less necessary because the government, this is just one example, there are other examples, but one example is that the government or non-religious charities do all the work. They do it better, and they have more resources, Resources, at least on the surface, that's the way that it seems, that we're, and we're running up against that. I'm saying all of this because as you look at these instructions for Peter, you must realize you cannot copy and paste what he has said. You are in a new era And you, Christian, need to cry out for wisdom for what this is going to look like. We can cry out for new wisdom, and of course we can build upon the old. We don't need to throw the baby out with the bathwater. The Spirit helps us tonight with Peter's words. It is a beginning. The Spirit will help us even more when I return from Florida and continue the preaching The Spirit is particularly going to help us in how we relate to our neighbors with a very key concept. I don't like calling it a concept because it sounds too impersonal, but there is a beautiful truth here in this passage that is repeated. I just want to point it out to you, and then we'll talk about it when I get back. Notice that when he starts with the examples, beginning in verse 13, there is a repeated phrase. Verse 13, submit. Verse 18, submit. Chapter 3, verse 1, submit. There's something going on here that we need to have a conversation about. And we're going to do that as we continue in this new section within Peter. What does he mean? If you pay attention to my sermon title, obviously I think it has something to do with overcoming evil with good and not retaliating but being like Christ, although he was reviled, he did not revile in return. And he said, turn the other cheek also. I think this will be a beautiful vision that Peter, through the Spirit, will reveal to us. What we need to do now, the only thing that we can do with this general orientation, is to pray. 
pray for God's wisdom because we as a body will need to engage this culture not in some general way, but with the specific relationships that are in your life. And we need wisdom to truly be able to do that. And our vision is worth it because our hope as Peter lays it down, is that those people that are in our lives will one day come alongside us and say, glory be to God the Father and to God the Son and to God the Holy Spirit. And they too will hope for the day of his visitation. And they can join us in figuring out how they can show their good works to the culture as we showed our good works to to them. So let's go together now into prayer. And I'm sure there's many things. There is a a handout in your bulletin of different prayer requests. But I would like it if you would pray and plead with God that he would give us